0: We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Are you new? Welcome. If you're an avid listener... I adore you. <laughs> You're the best. Um, we have such a good show for you today. I cannot wait to jump into it. So I'm going to keep this intro short. Um, but I wanted to share with you that we have so many good events coming up. Um, I have to fill you in. So um, one of them this week is is uh, Jolie Jankiewicz, who is one of our incredible members. Um, She is the head of influencer marketing at FabFitFun, and she actually launched their entire program. So she is hosting a masterclass this Thursday on how to launch an influencer program from scratch. Um if there's anyone who knows how it's done and how to do it right, it's her. So, she, we asked her to do it and she agreed and I'm so excited. I'm going to be listening with pen and paper. Um also, this is probably one of the biggest events we're going to have um, of 2020. Um, We have a TikTok fireside chat. So we have somebody, a TikTok insider who works there. Her name is Emma Gribben. Um, She's the head of content partnerships there and she has agreed to lend her time to us for a fireside chat. We're going to ask her the ins and outs of TikTok and we are going to make sure to leave a ton of time at the end for a Q&A. So Any questions that you have about the platform, which I'm sure there are many, she's going to be here to answer, to do her best to answer. (laughs) Um, So that's going to be an incredible event. Um, And then this one is going to be super interesting. I geek out about this, so I'm personally really excited about it. I hope you find it valuable, if nothing more. So one of the most frequently asked questions in our group has always been, hey, what influencer tech platforms are you using? I use this or I've never used anything. I need my business to run better, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Everyone's shared, you know, what platforms they use. But I feel like there's always this outstanding question of, is there something better? Is, the, is there something better for my needs? So because I love tech, and because I love influencer marketing, I am putting together an event, which is Influencer Tech Demo Day. Um, Gone are going to be the days where you have to book demos over the course of like three weeks because there's so many. We are going to bang it out. So we are going to do in one day um, a of demos from some of the best companies so you're going to get all the information in one place Um, invite your team this is a completely free event so you can invite as many people as you like maybe like one person takes one demo one person takes the other Um, you tag team it and then I think the best part of it is that after all the demos we're going to be having breakout rooms so that you can ask more individualized questions so to say hey I saw that this platform has this how do you guys respond to something like that Like, this is my use case. Do you have something that fits my needs? There's usually not one platform that fits everybody's needs. Um, I'm so aware of that. Most people use multiple platforms. So this is an incredible opportunity to learn um, all the tech that's out there so it can help you do your job better. So that is, uh, those are the three upcoming events, three of many, but ones that I wanted to highlight for you guys. I'm personally super excited about them. All you've got to do, of course, is just go to our site um, to RCP. It's IAMWIM.com slash events. It's, of course, that's IAMWIM is double I in whim.com slash events. And uh, I hope to see you there. All right, cool. Let's jump into this week's episode. Jennifer Fitta is a serial entrepreneur and business strategy expert. She's worked with clients that range from startups to multi-million dollar organizations. She's now the youngest partner at Dual Citizen Beverage Alliance, which grew from 200,000 to 10 million in revenue in five years, where she ran the entire private labeling division and remains an equity partner and onboard member. She then became the chief marketing officer at one of Dallas's prominent creative strategy agencies and quickly became one of the most sought after strategists in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. In 2019, she authored the book BYOB Revolt, selling over 100,000 copies in its first year. BYOB Revolt gives employees the tools they need to define their career on their own terms. She took the unique tools she used for business strategy, trademarked them, and molded it for the employee, showcasing that everyone needs to be their own brand to achieve success. BYOB Revolt has since been developed for higher education and enterprise use and has been adopted by over 30 colleges and universities around the U.S. for the fall semester of 2020. In addition, Jennifer has authored individualized programs that dive deeper into the method and has her second book, Grab a Mirror, slated for release in April of 2021. Jennifer is also the host of Bitch I Quit, a career strategy podcast that rants about defying the status quo, resolves the issues at hand with tangible takeaways and roundtables with well-known experts in their fields. We are so excited to have Jennifer on the podcast today. This was such a great episode. And now you get to hear from the woman herself. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. So Jennifer, welcome to the podcast today. I've been really excited to have you on, um, learn all about your professional journey, Um, And have our listeners just get a sense of all the great work you've been doing. So
1: first and foremost, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you. And I love the podcast, so I'm thrilled to be a guest.
0: We're so happy to have you. Um, So we heard a bit about you in the intro Everyone listening knows if you've listened to more than one episode, I think it's best to just hear it from your own words. So tell us a little bit about how you um, like where you got started and how you made it to where you
1: are today. Well, I am a traditional marketer by trade, and um, that's how I started over 15 years ago. Um, I expanded into the digital marketing space. I am obsessed with marketing automation. Um, When it first came out um, in the corporate side of the world about 10 years ago, I was just fascinated by it. And it really focused my strengths in strategy. And I really just excelled from there. Uh, Being a part of marketing automation allowed me to kind of dabble into business strategy. And then... I realized that maybe it wasn't just the marketing aspect of it that I loved. It was actually the strategic aspect of of my job that I loved. Um, During that time, I'm one of those people that's just obsessed with work. And I know that not everyone is obsessed with work, but I am. Um, And I loved what I was doing. I was excelling really fast and I just didn't really feel fulfilled and I couldn't really understand why. And I started to dissect myself as a business strategy. And so in doing that, I realized that the boxes that were put in from the professional side of things, whether you're in business or in any industry, are built to kind of suppress our individuality. And I had lost track of who I was. I knew that I was a business strategist. I knew what areas of marketing I loved. I knew what areas of the company that I worked for that I loved but I couldn't really figure out where my values and where my individuality really came through. Um, So I started documenting my process and myself as a business because I truly believe that we're all our own brand, whether we have a business or we're in business or not, everyone is their own brand. Um, So during that time, I really kind of, I joke around a lot and I call it my white hat. I like destroyed my white hat. I stopped trying to be so perfect and I really started to figure out who I was. And during that time, I created what is now called BYOB Revolt. Um, It's a book that was published last year, and it's just all of my random weird tips and tricks and documentation. Um, And it's basically a twist on business strategy for individuals, so we can all assess ourselves as a brand, hold ourselves accountable, and Over the last year, the book has kind of taken off in a way where I've kind of become the, like, you know, unauthorized brand ambassador for career wellness. Um, So, I took my experience as a business strategist, kind of flipped it on myself and then now took this methodology to say, Hey, you know, we don't have to follow the status quo. Marketing doesn't look like what it looked like 10 years ago. It doesn't even look like what it looked like 10 days ago. So why should we as professionals kind of mute ourselves to the point where we only fit, fit the box. So now I kept, continued to write business strategies and grow several businesses from startups to multi-million dollar organizations. Um, But my true passion right now is working with individuals on how they can market themselves. And it does really align with influencer marketing because it's focused on the individual. It's focused on your own brand and how your values can really come through. So that's that's
0: huge. I'd love to dig into that a little bit. You're completely accurate in saying that, you know, marketing is certainly not what it looked like 10 years ago. Sometimes it's really not even what it looked like 10 seconds ago. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what version of marketing do you think is the most effective? Because just because it changes doesn't mean that it's necessarily effective. Um, So if you could sort of dig into that, a lot of our listeners are, you know, agency folks, PR folks, um, people who are pretty advanced in the industry. They'd love to hear what's worked
1: for you. I think what's worked for me um, and... I would say the foundation of all of the marketing strategies that I've written, all of the career strategies, regardless of size of business industry across the board has always been Persona method. The persona method, I think, is so important because you need to know who you're actually marketing to. And I think writing personas is very different now than what it used to be. I think people used to think of personas as you were dictating the story. And the reality of it is that there are buyer personas and there are marketing personas. So your buyer personas are the people that you already know who they are, those are part of your audience. That's great. But I'm always focused on Who are your marketing personas? Who are the people that you would want to spend dollars and time and valuable information and resources on? And even when we talk about it from the personal sense, I always ask everyone to write their own persona. I want to know who you are. So before you can tell me what you bring to the table, I want to know who you bring to the table. So whether you're doing it from a marketing sense or you're doing it from the internal side of things, I know that my best strategies have always been formulated because I understood who the audience was and then who was actually telling the story. And so when I talk personas, I talk about, you know, there are the basics. So you can ask people what kind of car do you drive? You can ask people, you know, what is their income bracket? You know, where are you, what's the goal for this, for this purchase cycle? That's great. For me, when I talk about personas, I always add that stuff in there, but I want to know indirect things. And I think the indirect pieces of your persona are the most brilliant pieces to tap into who you should be marketing to and also who are you if you're writing your own persona. I think one of the interesting indirect questions that I always ask people when we're writing personas and we're writing strategy is I try to find that that I call it your vulnerable hour. I always look at it as Tuesday night at 9 p.m. The weekend is over. You're not quite halfway through the week. It's not, you know, the, it's not the dinner time hour. It really is that like blah hour in the week. What are you doing? Or what is that potential customer doing Tuesday night at 9 p.m.? If you can figure out what they're doing, just in a high level, we don't need to know exactly what they're doing, but if you can understand what the person is doing at their most vulnerable hour, You can understand how you can reach them. You can understand who they are at the core. I think what we miss so much in marketing is that we miss the idea that these are people, these are humans on the other side. And so we always go to the direct information we have. Okay. We know how much money they make. We know how much, you know, where they're where their car is, where they're located, you know, all the basic demographic information. It's the indirect information, I think, that that makes you more relatable. And right now, if you can't grasp that relatable information, you can't mark it to anyone. I love that. That's so interesting. I've never heard something like
0: just thinking about that before, but it makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, first and foremost, sort of identifying who you are um, mm-hmm. in that equation, but then also Just thinking about the non-superficial things about your audience, right? It's so easy to jump to, you know, their age and their gender and even more specific things than that. Um, But I love that. Just sort of like really painting a full picture of who that person is. So like, that's fantastic. I love that. I love the term, you know, their most vulnerable hour. So
1: how do you get, like, how do you figure that out though? I look at, so I'll go into one, the demographic information of that age group, but then I also want to go into what do what do they value? And I think people look at values as attributes, but actually when you look at indirect attributes for a sales process or a connection when we're talking about marketing, you can look at what would they potentially be doing at, at Tuesday at 9 p.m.? Okay, well, I can look at they value it's not necessarily in a specific thing they value, you know, alone time or they value, you know, a glass of wine. If, if that's what it is, it's relaxation or they value whatever their values are. You can translate into when you have a free moment of time, what would you anticipate that this person is doing? You can look at different brands that they associate with. You can look at traffic patterns. Um, you can look at, you know, geographic location, but it all comes down to, you know, the research that you put in. And so you're essentially creating a story about this person that may or may not be true. And it's always a reflection of what you can offer that person. So what you expect them to be doing at Tuesday night at 9 p.m. by doing all of this demographic research is really what you're saying to yourself and your brand this is what I can offer that type of person. Maybe that person isn't exactly who you thought that they were, but understanding that when you write a persona and you look at those indirect metrics, those are actually a reflection of you and what you can offer them. And what maybe that person wants at Tuesday night at 9 p.m., that may be what tells you this is not my target audience or I don't have what it takes to offer them that. So maybe I need to make an adjustment when you're looking at you know, your campaign strategy or your overall strategy. I think that we can get as much demographic research as humanly possible, but because purchase patterns are always changing, because our businesses and our brands are always changing, I think it's important to remember that once you have that information, it's really a reflection of who you are at the end of the day and what you can provide them. Definitely. And, you know, what are your thoughts on getting the information
0: about the people that, you know, already are in your circle Mm -hmm. versus those who you're trying to get in your circle? What, you know, there's only so much energy that we could put out there and put forth, you know, we want to focus in our efforts. Um, What are your thoughts on who to focus on?
1: I think you've got to look at when we talk about nurturing people who are in our own in our own sphere they're already customers or you've already captured their information I think it all comes down to prioritizing what you're doing for me I'm always looking for myself and for clients I'm looking at what are we doing this quarter what are the touch points so I will typically look at whether it's a website or a social strategy or you know an Instagram account we look at you know what are the options that we have for this whole month, right? We'll look at every 30 days, and then we look at what the quarter is. Then you can look at, okay, based on your persona types, based on your target audience from the external side of things, you can plan on, you know, your your paid strategy or your organic strategy from that sense. You can also do the same thing internally by looking at your upcycle. So what can we actually offer to people? And I usually set like two to three max when it comes to internal nurturing, that's going to be your priority because you can only hit your customers so many times with a variety of different things. So for me, I'm always looking at what are the top two to three things that people can do that we already have access to from a nurturing side of things. And I think that once someone becomes a customer, they have to become more than just a customer. You want to look at the metrics that go around who are going to be, you know, your grandstanding fans and how do you convert a general customer to a grandstanding fan? And that's looking at how you can nurture them two to three times every quarter with the areas that make the most sense to them because your customers are going to be changing. They're going to be evolving in their own life and you need to make sure that you're growing with them.
0: You know, there are so many women in this group who you know, either they work for an agency and they're managing that on behalf of many brands or Mm -hmm. they're, you know, working for a specific brand and really focused in there. Once you sort of identify that, what do you, you know, and then everyone wants to grow. Everyone wants to, to grow beyond that. And so what are some of the best tactics when it comes to capturing new audiences, whether it's related to the original one. Maybe it's like the friends of the people Mm -hmm. who are in your sphere um, or just, or just additional customers. You're like, oh, like I really want to break into that market. It makes so much sense. I just, I I don't know how to get in there. What would you tell that
1: woman? I think what I would tell them is the first piece is, There's always that circle of people who are around your targets. And so once you identify who your power users are, you've got to figure out who the power users circle is, right? So you've got to go in and I usually do this about every six months. I'll go in and see who are the targets and the personas that are performing the best. Who are the people that are around them, both directly and indirectly, That they can use, um, that we can use their information to advocate. We can also communicate with them and we're better learning about our customers when we talk about that and you're better learning about your audience um, so I think that's the first piece is to kind of dig a little bit deeper you can use nurturing campaigns to learn more about your customers and their purchase cycles because you are who you are around you're gonna learn more about about those types of people so I think that's the first step in the process is assessing who your power users are and then who is their circle because then you can create the second tier of that strategy to be based around how can we infiltrate that circle in a meaningful way who may not they your friends aren't exactly who you are, but they can kind of co-sign for what you're, what you're putting out there. The other piece is, if you're someone who's trying to infiltrate a different industry or a different market with your business, I think that it's important to have separate strategies. They're going to run in a parallel track, but I find so many people that I've worked with in the past have really struggled because they try to weave it into their already existing strategy. And that's just not the reality. If you want to infiltrate a separate market, you have to create an entirely different strategy for it. You also have to be accepting of the fact that you're going to have different targets. So you have to understand that there's not going to be that historical data that you're sitting on from the jump. So I think what I would do is do competitive analysis, both direct and indirect for that industry that I'm trying to break into. And then I would also do a mini strategy and be realistic about how long it's going to take to infiltrate that industry. And then also understand that your nurturing is going to change, your metrics are going to change, um, and that you absolutely have to be realistic when it comes to how much of your, whether it's going to be your advertising budget or the time you put in um, to infiltrate that industry and cultivate your strategy. Because if the return does not make sense with your overall goal, then you have to understand like where your time management comes into play.
0: Yeah. And I'm so glad that you said that because, you know, part of my question was you know, there's, there's so, only so much energy that we can expend and, yes. and just that your business maybe should put out there, um, just to keep in mind your bottom line of your company. Um, and so while it, perhaps there are some instances where it seems particularly enticing to break into like, uh, another market, um, you do have the, the realistic part of, of that whole equation is really important to keep in mind at the very, at just at the very minimum, um, you know the time frame it's yes. it's going to be a lot it, it would likely be, I'd love to hear your opinion, it would likely take
1: longer to be able to do so, right? Yeah, I think too, one thing that we forget as professionals is that it's so exciting to expand into a different industry or, you know, a different arm of your business. We've done this several times in our business and we have to remember to calculate, you know, what is the ROI of expanding into this industry? And the one thing that people forget to calculate when we talk about ROI in terms of expansion is the time that it's going to take away from your existing business, the time that you're taking away from the dollars that you're already making. You've got to be able to hit that times at least two to three X within the first quarter, or else you're going to start seeing a decline in what you already have. And so I think that for me, I've also made this mistake in the past, like, oh, okay, we've got a bunch of programs. So now we're going to, you know, we're going to do something else or we have one podcast. So now we're going to add, you know, three more. Okay. So when we add those additional arms to our business, when we start, you know, breaking into different categories, the time it takes away from our actual business for normal business hours. So we're not working 24 hours a day. The time it takes away, is that more valuable than the return that is going to come out of this, out of this new industry or this new arm. And I think that People often forget that because they think that growing is, means that you have to add a bunch of new things. You can actually continue to grow within your own space um, and make a really impactful approach when it comes to, when it comes to revenue.
0: Mm, That's such an interesting topic. I was even talking about this. I was talking about growth. There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed Full Apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba with someone just the other day. And, you know, she's up for a another role at a company, a great company. And she was like, you know, but there's not necessarily this growth trajectory with my role though. And she was sort of mm-hmm. trying to like wrap her head around that. And I was like, well The way that you're describing it, I actually think the team and the department that you would build would actually be what's growing. So it's just interesting that you say that. It's like there there may just be traditional routes of growth that we're so accustomed to, but there's absolutely different paths and and growth can look different depending on your circumstance. Um, And I'd love to hear just a little bit about your own business because I I love entrepreneurs who work with other business owners and, um, you know, it's really this beautiful scenario of like you're practicing what you're preaching um, and Mm -hmm. you infuse this into your own business. So, you know, I know you've got a podcast, you've got a book, you spoke earlier about, you know, you, you absolutely everybody has their own brand. So talk to us about your journey As an entrepreneur and and finding your voice and and what that has um what where that's led you today,
1: I think that I think what's really important for me to share from the beginning is that where I'm at now in my my entrepreneurial journey is really nowhere where I was expecting, and I think that that's the beauty of beauty of this story. And so, what's really interesting is that I was able to be a part of and be an equity partner in a startup when I was kind of on the fence of, do I want to leave corporate life? Do I want to do my own thing? And I was given the room to grow and become who I wasn't as a professional in the corporate world. So I really learned a lot about myself. Um, And being a part of that wine startup allowed me to really see my limitations as well as my strengths, um, not only in the business world, but also as a person. And I really got to learn a lot about myself. And so the formation of the Revolt Career Network has just been something that was essentially a passion project. And so we started off and it was supposed to be just an ebook. And so as most, I feel like, entrepreneurial stories, it's just, it went in a completely different direction. So for me, it started, it was supposed to be an ebook. We ended up being able to publish the book last year. And then I realized that this was more than just a strategy for me. So I was just as excited about the product as I was growing the business. And I was able to utilize all of the tools that I had built with my digital marketing background and my marketing automation background and my business strategy background for a product that was my own. So since then, we've taken the book, we've turned it into an online classroom. Um, That online classroom is now being used in over 30 colleges and universities. We've got individual programs and we've really taken on this career industry, not as career coaches, but as career wellness, really holding ourselves accountable. Because for me, the problem was I was excelling in my career. I was loving what I was doing, but I wasn't fulfilled. And that sounds so strange but that's really how i felt and so i was like how do i how do i love what i do but not feel okay in what i'm doing and it's because i wasn't allowed to really be myself now the entrepreneurial journey has not been an easy one it sounds really great like i wrote a book and then we launched a podcast and you know now we have this online classroom it has been really, really, really hard. And I'm very lucky that, as I mentioned before, I was a part of that wine startup when I did because it is a grind. There are days when you, you know, you are working 24 hours a day and most of the time I am, but you have so many moving parts. There are so many things that you have to learn. Um, Even being a business strategist, my team can tell you there's something new that I learn about the business world every single day. Most of the time, it's like, I messed up on this. Okay, we've got to try it a different way. Um, I think that I think sharing that piece of it, that it's not all rainbows and butterflies and that even when there is a massive victory, you know, we're on to the next because the first two to three years of a business's life is critical. I feel like everyone is, they've got the paddles on deck, everyone's waiting, like we're all in cardiac arrest trying to figure out like, how do we get this going. And I think that we do other entrepreneurs a disservice when we don't tell them the struggle that it takes to get through the whole process. Um, And for me, being a part of this career wellness space, you know, people just expect like, oh, you should just be happy. And this should just be easy. And you love what you do. And like, it's actually a hard work. There's a lot of there's a lot that goes into it. We have a full team that's working on this. Um, So for me, I think that being a business strategist, it really allowed me to learn the ins and outs of the foundation. But the entrepreneurial journey for the Revolt Career Network and writing BYOB Revolt was really the first time I think in my career where I 150% had aligned my passion and my purpose. So I really used the skills that I knew and the skills that I had mastered in order to scale the business. But it was finally something that I felt like I could be so confident in and so happy with, and which is why we have so many different channels and so many different areas that that we talk about in terms of different mediums that people can connect with us on. Um, but it really has been a passion project for me
0: words of wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Where do I even begin? No, that's, that is a incredibly valuable thing for any entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur to hear. Um, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. No, not at all. All. And I could not agree with you more. It's actually really seriously doing a disservice to, Mm -hmm. to communicate that it is, And there are, there's just, there's so many uh, sources out there that that's all they're talking about. That it, and they absolutely make it seem like it's just easy
1: and everybody should leave their job and just right on their own. <laughs> it's not, this is not for everyone. This is a crazy grind. And I also think that we're, we're in a space and we're in a society that loves to tell like a rags to riches story. They never talk about, you know, the actual grind that goes in between you hear like, you know, they were working in their garage and now they're a fortune 500 company. And like, what happened in between? Like, does anyone want to share that with us. Do you want to talk about like when you were trying to figure out, you know, like how you were going to juggle everything and those like two to three years in between this like massive growth, like how'd you go to sleep at night? How did that, how did that work? Or the times when you're, you know, really trying to juggle and figure out what's going on. I feel like as a society, we just don't talk about those kind of things and we wait for somebody to get to like a Steve Jobs level in order to offer advice. And that's a super disservice. I think that entrepreneurship, we, once you sign up for this journey, you are required, I think, not by law, but you should be to share the journey, right? Share the difficulties, share the victories, but in an honest way, you do not have to be Steve Jobs in order to have advice to give to someone else. And so whether you're moderately successful, you're in the beginning phases of your business or your, you know, you are Steve Jobs, you know, reincarnated. That's fine. Share all the advice that you have. And I think that by talking about it and sharing our stories and sharing our strategies, we're going to offer, you know, a real insight to what an entrepreneur really goes through every day versus, okay, well, you can hustle in your garage and I use hustle in air quotes, you know, for three years and then you'll be Amazon. Like that's not reality.
0: It's the, it's, it's not, it's, it's like what you know, 0.0001% right. anybody's right. reality. And like, it's fantastic to have dreams and have aspirations and like, you should always, you know, give it a shot. Cause if that's you, then fantastic. But there's a huge piece about managing expectations and, you know, having the realities top of mind as well, which is that 99% of everybody else is experiencing very different things. Um, And I think it's also, you know, you're talking so much before about you know the analytics and really diving into like the psychographics of mm-hmm. of audiences um but you also briefly touched on you know you analyzed your your own business and you as a business person and i think that that is really key because success also looks so different yes. uh, to everybody and some people success only looks like Steve Jobs's trajectory, mm-hmm. and then some people success is making a comfortable hundred thousand dollars a year or even less in other parts of the country, yes. and you know, or having time back. Um, that is something that you know is is absolutely more pervasive as an entrepreneur is that you're, you theoretically you can be more free with your time. I mean, there's there's also value that can be. Given. Given to entrepreneurs that isn't necessarily monetary. So, you know, just sort of really being able to identify what success looks like to you is really key going into business uh, as, a, as an entrepreneur. Um, and I don't know, I'd love to hear your thought on this because I think that those goals and markers of success are absolutely going to change.
1: Oh, absolutely. And-
0: and so it's like checking in with yourself. And like you said, just continuing to be honest about it, maybe having a close circle around you of people that you can bounce these, these thoughts off of and and people who are going to be honest with you in return. Um, this is all stuff that is so hugely important as, as you continue your journey as a business person, entrepreneur, what have you. So you know, I, what, you know, if you could identify any other pieces of advice of somebody that might be listening, who has not embarked on this journey, you know, yet somebody who they are in a corporate environment, um, they are not working for themselves, but they hear, you know, they, there's something in there that they identify with. There's something attractive about it to them. What are some other things that you would advise them to think about before taking the leap?
1: Well, first, I always think that, and I I know I'm always talking about the persona, but I do think we all need to know who we are first. I think that before you do any professional cliff jump, you've got to have a conversation with yourself and a real honest one, right? So not like, I don't need to know your strengths and then your weaknesses that you're going to turn into strengths. That does me no good. That does you no good. I want to know, and you should be able to know who you are as a professional right in that current moment. I am so frustrated with the, what's your five-year plan? What are you going to do next year? What are you going to do the year after that? I think that that is really stifling when it comes to professionals. And I think it scares the hell out of people when it comes to being an entrepreneur, because we're so conditioned to long-term goal set. So for me, I think, think that anyone who is even on the fence of joining this entrepreneurial journey, one, you've got to know who you are, whether you write your persona or you have a long, hard look at yourself and you understand who you are, the good, the bad, the ugly, like the three adjectives that best describe you. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be pretty, but you have to know what they are. You've got to know who you're bringing to the table. The next thing I always share with people is I really think we have to shift the mindset to short-term goal set. Everything I do is on a quarterly basis because I don't wanna think past 90 days. Of course, we have an annual strategy, but when it comes to my own goals and my own metrics, I check in with myself every 30 days. I wanna know know, what my growth patterns are, what I'm doing, even down to vanity metrics and things that are gonna help me from a motivational side of things. You've gotta do very small check-ins. The reason that I do this is that I was someone who saw the five-year picture. And so, okay, by the time, you know, I'm 35, I want to be X, Y, and Z. And then you end up planning for that journey, but you actually don't know what the steps are that it takes to get there. Um, And you're looking at kind of mimicking other people's journeys, kind of playing small, figuring out what works for other people. So for me, I really think that if you want to, you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to go out there and start something new, or maybe you're just trying to figure out, you know, what's the next step in your journey. If you want to continue to live a corporate lifestyle or, you know, work in a smaller business, that's totally fine. I think that we're doing ourselves a disservice if we don't figure out who we are right now, and then set small goals in order to reach the maximum capacity. Because honestly, when I was younger, and I would set five-year five year goals for myself i was going in a completely different direction that wasn't even remotely close to who i would want to be anyway and so we're limiting ourselves and these limiting beliefs are what's keeping us trapped in these boxes and we're not processing our full potential when it comes to you know innovation when it comes to business ideas if you're so fixated on you know i need to have this job title or i need to hit you know x amount of dollars by a certain amount you you then limit everything that can come in your path. So I'm a big fan of writing your persona, knowing who you are, even the ugly parts, you've got to accept it and figure it out because even the ugly parts of that person are a component to how you get to whoever you want to be in five years. It's a, it was a monumental moment for me to realize that like I couldn't write the story of the person who was coming in five years unless I figured out who the person was right now. So, I would say write your persona or do a real deep dive into who you are at that current moment. You have to get to a place where you can be aware of who you are, be accepting of who you are and hold yourself accountable to the good, the bad, the ugly, how you can make it better, how you can, you know, decrease some of your negative habits, that kind of stuff, and then always set short-term goals. Short-term goal setting and really tying them to, you know, are these goals you know, something that you can test? Are these goals something that are actual tangible skills that make sense for for your work? And are they transferable from a high level if you wanted to switch industries or if you wanted to go down a different route, would it make sense for you to look at the baseline, you know, responsibility that you have and transfer that to another industry? And I think those, those are the tools that I would that I would suggest to people so
0: good. I, to some women who are listening, you know, it's, it could be hard to maybe identify some of the some of the more negative traits, um, and deal with them, <laughs> yes. um, and, and, and what to do with those. So uh, could you, for it, could you be so brave as to telling us, you know, and revealing maybe one of the qualities that you're like, Oh, I wish this was different. And just like how you have dealt with that
1: professionally to move through it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very open with, I always ask everyone, you know, what are your three adjectives? And don't tell me that it's nice because nice is not, that's not how how we do things here. So I always want to know your negative and your positive. So I always look and I say of my three adjectives, I know that I am aggressive, I'm demanding, and I'm loyal. And all three of those can be negative at times. But one thing that I've noticed was that I'm aggressive by nature because I'm a bolder personality and that's something that I had to take to heart. So when I wrote my persona for the first time, I totally lied to myself. I was super approachable, I was not aggressive at all. I, you know, was I was simply confident. The reality of it was was that I wasn't super confident. I was just aggressive by nature because I feel like as women We are told that there aren't enough seats at the table already. So there's a seat shortage. And then when you get it, you have to like claw that seat to the death. You cannot give that seat up. So I had kind of created this aggressive nature in order to get my point across. And so for me, I've really spent the last five to six years working on what's necessary to be aggressive and what is not necessary to be aggressive. And I've done a lot of work in that capacity. And so what I've noticed is that by really setting short-term goals and calling myself out for areas that I'm being aggressive that I don't need to be aggressive in, whether it's, you know, contact or strategy or, you know, expectations, when I call myself out on those things, I've really started to increase my empathy, and so I understand the person that's on the other side of, of what's the other side of the table or the other side of the room. And so by identifying, hey, you're a little too aggressive right now. You might be a little too aggressive overall. I'm starting to learn to, you know, read the room. And when I've started to really take my white hat off and realize I'm not perfect and I am aggressive by nature. And I start to read the room. I'm learning more about other people. I've connected with my coworkers better. I've connected with my work better. And I've also been able to identify what are the areas where I do have to be aggressive? Are those the areas that I actually value? And it's really forced me to to look in the mirror. I also do a lot of feedback when it comes to the company. I want to know What are your three adjectives? So I understand where you're coming from. You're good. You're bad. You're ugly. How do we, how do we open up about that? But when it comes to something that like I'm being negative, I've also surrounded myself with people that know now I understand I'm not perfect. Five, six years ago, I would have been very upset if one of my friends or my coworkers were like, listen, Jennifer, a little too aggressive, like calm down. I would have, that would have, you know, ticked me off to the nines. Now I know that, it's part of who I am. And so part of who I am is controlling the negative and the positive so that I can be successful. And if I keep a blind eye to my aggressive nature, then I'm also doing myself a disservice. So I know aggressive Jennifer is in there. I just have to continue to call myself out, which is why I have to do those 30, 60, 90 day check-ins to make sure that I'm not, you know, getting too aggressive and too out of control
0: i love that so much i mean you're very self-aware um and and comfort i mean to become comfortable with the good and the not so good parts of yourself like it takes time and it takes practice, I would assume as well. So it's almost like start today (laughs) because
1: you're (laughs) right. You're so so right in that aspect. I also think that like, I want to share that it took me a very long time because when we think about the professional world and we think about, especially those of us who are in business, who are in strategy, and I think particularly females, we are required to be perfect in all aspects of our lives. And so when you get to a point where you look in the mirror and you don't see something, you have to fix it before you see a second glance. That's what we're told by society, right? So if my face isn't looking so great in the mirror, I'm going to add some extra foundation or I'm going to you know, style my hair a different way. It's the same thing at work when you feel as though your imperfections are showing you try to cover them and every time we try to cover our imperfections we lose sight at what they are because th- there's work that goes into how you can fix your imperfections and how you can analyze them so i didn't just wake up one day and become super self-aware this was such a a tough process for me because i am a perfectionist and so realizing that i was you know kind of hiding myself and maybe i wasn't as confident as i thought i was was this like insane eye-opening moment where like the floodgates come and you're like oh my god this is i've been hiding my whole life um but it is a process i think that we get to a place where we can hold ourselves accountable whether it's our work our strategy our brand only when we understand who we are so it's really self-awareness then it takes time to actually accept who you are and you're always going to backslide you're always going to be like oh, okay You know, maybe today, I I just won't look in the mirror today. Like that happens, still happens to me. So once you get to that place of self-acceptance, only then can you really hold yourself accountable to your true potential. And the same goes for your work and your brand. Until you understand all facets of it and you accept them, the good, the bad, the ugly, then you can hold them accountable. And that's the key
0: too. It's accepting them, you know, Yes. it's identifying
1: them first,
0: but the acceptance part is probably the most difficult when, when what you identify isn't always what you want it to be necessarily. Yes. Um, so, you know, practicing that is huge. Um, we ask this question of everybody who comes on. I'm really excited to ask you. What would you have told your younger self that would have given you a professional or personal advantage today?
1: I think it would probably be two things. I think one would be that perfection is overrated. I spent a majority of my 20s really just focusing on perfection. And I've realized now that perfection is in the eye of the beholder. So, what is perfection to you is not perfection to me, and when you are playing the perfection game, you are playing someone else's game. And I think that had I not been playing that game for so long, maybe I would have been in a different direction, maybe I would have been I mean I'm extremely happy in where I am right now, but maybe I could have gotten here faster. And I really try to I really try to share that with everyone that Perfection is is a game you don't want to play. I think the other part that I wish I would have known when I was younger is that you cannot write your story before you live it. And whether that is the five year plan or you know, getting the job title that you want, again it was a nine. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you it. liked and what so you heard today, don't forget I to subscribe and I realize now that you get to live the story
0: and when you comment, tell
1: the story so it's this when you want to share it, it's not how you're going episode. to you know Join create next the vision. Your vision is not your story.
0: That's wonderful. I, I could hear you talk for so much longer and luckily (laughs) everyone can because you have a podcast. She has a book, everyone. Um, and you know, I've enjoyed this time chatting with you so, so much. Um, and I would assume that others would love to, you know, learn more about the podcast, the book, how to get in touch. Um, how,
1: how can they find out more about you? So you can find me on social media. So our handles are BYOB Revolt um, and also Jennifer Fitta, F-I-T-T-A. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me pretty much everywhere. The podcast is called Bitch I Quit and it's on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, everywhere where you can find your, find your pods. And then always you can find us on our website, which is RevoltCareerNetwork.com. We've got everything that you need there. And I hope to hear from, from so many of you amazing thank you so so much for being on today it was such a pleasure this was so wonderful thank you so so much thanks for listening tune in next week tune in next week